We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. Well, welcome to church. Kids, you're dismissed at this time. Great to have you. And cousins and David, thank you for leading us in worship this morning. If you would open your Bibles to 1 Samuel 27 with me. If you're a guest here, I just want to especially welcome you to the gathering. I'm glad you have um, glad you're visiting us, and I hope that this morning would be a great blessing to you in your life and uh, your walk with the Lord. Um, two weeks ago, uh, a man named Jeff Snyder from Antioch preached First uh, uh, Samuel 24 and um, the themes of First Samuel 26. Last week I did 25, so we're in 27. I don't know if that's confusing for you, but um, the short of it is we're in 27 this morning. Um, before we read it, I'd just like to thank you guys um, as, a, as a church. Thank you for praying for my wife and I. We had a great week. We went um, to with a ministry called ACBC, as I mentioned last week, uh, a, a, um, Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. There was 20 pastors and their wives that came, and we got some biblical counseling all together. It was wonderful. We feel restored, refreshed, renewed, all the good R words. And it was, it was just especially good for us to sit under God's word, to be ministered by it, and uh, to see once again that God's word really is sufficient and it restores souls, as Psalm 23 says. So we, um, we are just greatly encouraged and grateful for you guys as well. So thank you for praying for us. Well, let's... Um, Let's open up God's Word together. Um, real quick, uh, I, uh, I love the springtime. Um, as a pastor, I especially love the spring because um, it allows me to see measurable things. I don't know if you can understand that, but uh, for me, I just love mowing the grass because uh, in the ministry, I don't always get to see things accomplished right away. It takes time for souls to to grow spiritually and to see visible fruit so i love splitting hostas and within like 20 minutes i'm i can go like ah i did that right i can measure it and and um i want to say that this morning um you know i love chopping wood cutting down trees cutting it you know chainsawing it splitting it and stacking it and going ah there it was right <laughs> measurable this morning, uh, this text, um, it won't uh, be measurable right away. Just like if you start a diet, the day of, you, you can't really see its effects, right? Uh, we won't necessarily be able to see the effects of the text right away this morning, but I am praying that it will help 
the church. It'll equip the church to walk with the Lord, especially in between the ears and the mind. So with regards to loving the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind, this text is going to teach us how to love Him with our mind. So let me read it for us. This is 1 Samuel chapter 27. This is God's Word. Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose and went over, he and the six hundred men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Maah, son, a king of Gath. And David lived in, with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel, and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. Here's verse 5. Then David said to Achish, if I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be given me in one of the country towns that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So that day Achish gave him Ziklag. Therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of the days of David lived in the country of Philistines of the Philistines was a year and four months. Verse 8. Now David and his men went up, made raids against the Geshurites, the, Giz, the Gezites, thank you, and the Amalekites. For these were the inhabitants of the land of old, as far as sure to the land of Egypt. And David went, and he would strike the land, and would leave neither man nor woman alive, but would take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the garments and come back to Achish. When Achish asked, where have you made a raid today? David would say, oh, against the Negev of Judah, or against the Negev of the Jeremelites, or against the Negev of the Kenites. And David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, thinking lest they should tell about us and say, so David has done. Such was his custom all the while he lived in the country of the Philistines. And Achish trusted David, thinking, He has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel. Therefore, he shall always be my servant. Hang in with, with, uh, with me for two more verses through 28. Ready? In those days the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, Understand, you and your men are to go out with me in the army. David said to Achish, Very well. You know, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Very well. I will make you my bodyguard for life. What a random passage in the Old Testament, huh? <laughs> I don't think you guys heard this story growing up, did you? I certainly have never preached it. You've probably never heard it preached. And you're probably wondering, what in the world are we going to 
pull out of this one today. This is very, very strange. Um, you might think this is strange of me, but I'm actually really excited to preach this text this morning. Uh, this has been very good for my heart this week. And, um, and I think, I, I think, and I've, I've been praying that it's going to move and impact your life in great ways. Um, we're calling the message of the text today, The Dangers and Delights of Inner Dialogue. The Dangers and Delights of Inner Dialogue. And so just a quick explanation of, of why we're calling it that is this. Everyone talks to themselves. It's called thinking, Right? Uh, and there is a real danger in this life of listening to your own thoughts. You, as the sole source of, of decisions, of life, etc., whatever. That's dangerous. But there is also a way of living, also a way of thinking that can be a great delight. And that's the way of walking with the Lord through prayer and being led by the Holy Spirit. So one is dangerous, thinking and listening to your own thoughts with no guidance, with no direction from the Lord. And then one is a sheer delight that only the believer can experience. So that's where we're going today. We'll just divide that sermon title in half. And the first point is the dangers of inner dialogue. Look at me, uh, look, look at it again at Chapter 27, verse 1, just a few, few phrases at the beginning. It says, Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. Okay? So he says, Now I shall perish. All right? So for some reason, our hero, David, after experiencing great protection in his life against the giant, right? Experiencing great protection, um, by way of Jonathan against Saul. Saul's throwing spears at him, and the Lord is enabling him to, to quickly move aside. The Lord's enabling him to talk to, with Jonathan, and Jonathan is warning him and telling him, hey, my dad's out to get you, and him fleeing and things. He's experiencing the protection of the Lord. He's experiencing the protection of the Lord against himself from Abigail. Do you remember that? Abigail saying, no, 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 don't do this wretched thing. Stop! The Lord has been good to you. So he's experienced the protection of the Lord. But for some reason now, he decides, I'm going to perish. This is, this is it for me. I am done. Right? The word that he uses, perish, in other translations is, now I'm going to be swept away. Funny, just the chapter before in 26 verse 10 he used the same verb to encourage and speak life into people saying, hey, Yahweh will protect you and Saul is going to be swept away. And Because he's a man, he's a human, easy to forget. Just the next chapter, he goes, I'm going to be swept away. Why the sudden switch? And I think the answer is found in the first six words. Look at them with me again. Then David said in his heart. Some take it a little more literally. Then David said 
to his heart. It's the same thing. It's just emphasizing that David is talking to himself. His counsel is not from the Lord. It's not from the scrolls of old. It's not to his wife, Abigail. It's not to wise counsel that he's talking. He's listening to himself. And the rest of this chapter is his actions as a result of what he's thinking and believing. So these six words inform his actions greatly. We tend not to see the danger in listening to our own thoughts. And I think that's, that's the way it is because probably since childhood, we've watched Disney movies and Warner Brothers and things like that. Um, and they've trained us to, to trust our thoughts. Uh, I remember showing my girls the movie Thumbelina. Um, it's not a Disney one. It's a, it's a Warner Brothers one. It's the story of this little girl born the size of a thumb. And she, she's got a tough life. She almost married a really mean frog, right? She, uh, she escaped that situation and met this really kind mouse the mouse had really nice intentions and she uh, the mouse wanted Thumbelina to marry a mole, right? And Thumbelina doesn't like the darkness. She likes flowers and fun and like the sunshine. And why would I want to marry a mole, right? Um, personal note, our family, like the, the, the girls would always get it under each other's skin. Um, there's this song in that movie. It was like, duh, duh, marry the mole. And we would always be like, you know, Ruthie is going to marry the mole. I am not going to marry the mole. You know, I won't. You know, that was that was kind of our joke. Right. But Thumbelina's path to happiness, to joy, you know, escaping the, 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 the clutches of the mole. And, and she finally meets this prince that is like the same size as her. And he's like this flower prince and likes to have fun and things like and she marries the prince. How does she marry the prince? What was the path to happiness? Well, it was from the swallow. Like the secret that would unlock that story, like the moral to this one is you got to follow your heart. That's what you got to do. His name, I think it was like Joachim or Giacchimo. That's what it was. He was an Italian swallow, <laughs> right? Uh, listen, listen to what, um, Giacchimo sang to Thumbelina. Um, literally, one of the lines, trust your ticker, it bears quicker. I mean, come on, who was the writer of that song? Uh, later in the song, you don't need anything to guide you. Close your eyes and, can you finish it? And look inside you. Yeah, don't say amen to that. Don't say amen to that. That, that is not biblical teaching. That's not it. That's not what we get from the Word. That's what we get from the world. Close your eyes. Look inside you. The answers will come. I had an old professor at my seminary. He said, if you close your eyes and look inside you, if you did that to me, all you'll find is a trash can in there. David did this. And it led him to unbiblical thinking. It led him to think specifically that God's will for my life is only to escape the clutches of Saul. That was, that was his understanding. 
So question, did it work? Did his line of thinking and his escape, did it work for him? It actually did. Let's just, let's just see it in there, okay? He went to Gath. As a result, uh, did, Paul, did Saul pursue him? No. No, it was another country. So objective, met. Did it work? Yes. Uh, he, when he was there, he was in Gath. He went to the king, Akesh, and he said, hey, can we live somewhere else? Um, you know, what, what's, why would we live with the king? Can you just give us like a neighboring town? Sure, sure. How about you live in Ziklag, right? Did that work? Did his thinking work? It did. It did. So like all the men, the 600 men, their wives and their household, did they finally get a good night's sleep? After running from Saul, they did. It must have felt good, honestly. Like, all right, like it's working. I'm a good leader. Like everyone's sleeping good. We have our own place. We're living here. It's a year and four months. Things are like going well, right? Also, while he was there, we read it together. He was deceiving Akish the whole time, right? He was going out on raids. He was destroying the enemies of Israel all the while going back and, and, and Achish would be like, hey, who'd you attack today? And he would lie to him. So while he was under, you know, he was, he was like a spy undercover. And so he was working here, benefiting Israel, lying here. Is it working? The third thing. It is. So we got to ask, uh, was it right? Uh, the deeper question as we kind of unfold this and study this passage is just because it works, does it make it right? So I'd like to introduce a term um, that, that I'm sure everyone knows. It's the term uh, to be pragmatic. Uh, pragmatic people or pragmaticism means that if it works, then it is true or right. I didn't really know the meaning of this word until I, um, until I started ministering as a pastor. Uh, sure, I, I like took the word on a test in grade school. I probably spelled it in a spelling bee. But to really understand the word, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't until I started leading in the church. And I started facing these temptations of going, ooh, if we do this, and if it works, does that make it right? And the challenge or the problem with that is I get to define what works means, right? Usually churches fall into this temptation of, well, works means we get more people or the budget grows or something like that. And so let's keep doing it. It works. When actuality, that is not biblical thinking at all. Let's keep using a smoke machine. Let's do the whole lights and things. People like it. And if people like it, then we should keep doing it. We're growing. Something must be going right. 
That's not a great way to think as a believer. It works the other way as well. Uh, if a church follows the Scriptures and the outcome, um, the outcome is just hard and, and people maybe don't like it, maybe people leave as a result of following the Scriptures, the natural tendency for a church is to start thinking like this. That didn't, come on, that didn't work, so let's, let's not do that, <laughs> right? Again, success would be defined not by the fidelity of Scriptures, but by the amount of people, the programs, the success rate, it's the... Uh, 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 what, a, what, a, what might the world define as success? In short, uh, church, let's not be pragmatic. Let's be faithful to the Scriptures and let's let the Lord handle the fruit. So if we're talking about what went well for David, we're asking, does that mean it was the right move for him to do this? And we're learning that that's actually not the best question to ask. Was it the right thing? Now, like as we're slowly wading into these waters, I'm going to use some 14, uh, Romans 14 language. So, was what David did, was it done in faith? Let me read Romans 14, 23, and then I'll let you decide. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So, did David, was his actions done in faith? Obviously, if you've sat in a classroom or listened to any speaker by any means, you're kind of anticipating that I'm, I'm like leading us along to say, no, no, I don't think it was done in faith. David didn't do that here. Things are working for him. Until those last two verses that we read, where we see that the king, King Achish said, Hey, David, would you be my bodyguard for life? And now David is faced with a massive conundrum. He's stuck. Should I be disloyal? Should I be an actual traitor to my own country? By being a bodyguard for this guy for life? Or is that a better way? Or should I still be hunted by Saul? So he's stuck. And David, because he assumed God's will, the best thing for his life would be not to be hunted by Paul. Now he's stuck as potentially being remembered by a traitor for life. Uh, so um, let's just pause for a second. This story actually gets cut short, okay? Um, we'll pick it up later. Um, David uses some ambiguous language. Maybe it's like to buy some time or whatever, but he's like, your servant, you'll know what he can do. <laughs> that's that's kind of how he answers that question. So he plays he plays the ambiguous card in verse 2 of 28. But I'd like to just say two things to pause and reflect of what's happened in the story so far, okay? We know, I mean, if you just look at your Bible, there's a few more chapters in 1 Samuel. Then there's a whole nother book, 2 Samuel. 
And we know that David becomes king. We've all heard these stories. We know he's a, a man after God's own heart. And so obviously, if we just use some common sense, we go, all right, he's blowing it here, but God still uses him, doesn't he? And so I think the great question would be, isn't God's grace so amazing? Like he uses a schmuck that, that does a lot of good sometimes, and then sometimes does a whole lot of bad. I'm thankful that the Bible doesn't mask any sort of, uh, it, it doesn't like depict David as this demigod or like, there's Jesus up there and there's David like just right under him, right? It's like, no, this guy. This guy's a sinner too. And we know that when Jesus Christ came, it says that He died for the sins, both past, present, and future. And we know that Jesus specifically died for the sins of David committed in chapter 27 of First Samuel. Jesus died for this sin. That's grace. Amen? That's the first thing. Isn't grace so amazing? And the second thing would be, would be this, that when Jesus Christ came, He brought with Him the new covenant. Um, this was a new way that was going to occur. That where God would change hearts from stone to flesh. That when He would bring people from no faith to faith, darkness to light, that He would change what was written upon their hearts. He'd make them soft and desirous, wanting the things of God. He'd write a new law on their hearts. And this new law would be done in such a way where they would be guided. People of the faith, of the new covenant, would be guided not by their own thinking, but by the, the inf information of God's Word, the living and active and powerful nature of it, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that would indwell a believer and guide them along the way to inform their thinking. John 16 says, hey, Jesus says, I'm going to leave and this new way, this new covenant, it's going to be to your advantage. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. If you had the option to choose being with Jesus, which you could see and touch and ask Him, and getting the Holy Spirit, I think 100% of us would say, I think Jesus, it would just be easier. Like I could just talk to Him and He would like immediately, right? But for some reason, and we've got a lifetime to study this together as a church, but for some reason Jesus said, the Spirit's going to be to your advantage. So Christians, you have an advantage over David in your thinking. So let's talk about the delight of thinking. So this is point number two. Okay, To be clear, what we're saying is listening to yourself is dangerous. We're seeing that from David. We've seen that in our own lives, I'm sure. That's the problem, right? So what would the solution be? It would, it would be to find the right source and listen to that, right? To feed your soul with truth instead of listening to lies. Um, let's just cut to the chase. 
Newman, are you are you just really just saying, hey everybody, have a daily devotional and you'll be fine. Uh, that is absolutely essential in the Christian life to feed your soul God's word and to uh, daily um, daily commune with God. But I think as if you just ask it like that, are you just saying like we need to have quiet times, Mike? Uh, I would say that's kind of. That's not the greatest question. It, it cheapens the answer a little bit. It's not, the, it's not the heart of it. It's a shallow understanding. What we're saying is, when it comes to our thought life, and we're seeing this in the Old Testament, man, listening to yourself is dangerous. The New Testament gives us the answers, and it phrases it in such a way, where, and it says this, Hey, instead of doing that, you must renew your mind. That is the way to walk with God. Don't listen to all your thoughts. You must renew your mind. Let me read it uh, in Romans 12. This is verse 2. Just write that in the margin. If you're taking notes in, in 1 Samuel 27, just write opposite. Romans 12, 22, or 12, verse 2. Here it is. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by what? The renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. Did David test it? No, he didn't. What is good and acceptable and perfect. Oh, sweet. Okay, so Mike, you're just saying, all right, let's renew our minds. How do you do that? Uh, one of my favorite verses found in 2 Corinthians says, you must take everything thought captive and make it obedient unto Christ. It's almost like, you know, Mr. Miyagi and Daniel's son, right? The fly is flying around, takes out the chopsticks and catches it, right? Same image for the Christian. These, these thoughts are flying around and you must captivate it and you must make it obedient unto Christ. Oh, great, Mike. All right, renew your mind. I'm all about, okay, make it. A, how do you do that? How do you make your thoughts obedient unto Christ? I've heard that principally. Tell me, how do I do that? And I would say, in short, use the Scriptures to correct your thinking. That's it. I don't think you have to go to seminary to get that answer. Much of my ministry to you is a ministry of reminding. Reminding you of how to walk with the Lord, not coming up with something new all the time. How do I renew my mind? How do I take thoughts captive? I must take God's word led by the Holy Spirit and I must correct my thinking. Uh, one, of, one of the great preachers that uh, died probably about 70, 80 years ago, was, his name was Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was an English preacher. He was both a doctor and a pastor. And he saw this epidemic happening in England during his time called depression. Anyone ever heard of it? And so he did a series of like, I don't know, 16 sermons. You can listen to them online, Martin Lloyd Jones, trust.com, something like that. And uh, in turn, took those sermons and made a book out of it. It's called Spiritual Depression. I've read it. 
uh, twice. I've listened to all the sermons all the way through uh, in times where I have experienced depression. They've greatly fed my soul. Let me listen. Uh, let me listen. Let me read to you um, how Lloyd-Jones affirms this teaching. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you in, in the moment you wake in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problem of yesterday, etc. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. <laughs> right? Same idea, right? This is not some schizophrenic thing. It's teaching you how to think biblically. It's saying, don't listen to your thoughts. Talk and correct your thoughts. David knew how to do this. Just read the Psalms, right? He's like, why are you da downcast? Oh, my soul. Put your hope in God. He's talking to his thoughts. He's preaching to himself. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Why did he say that? Because this is probably what his thinking was going, man, I don't feel like much right now. My emotions aren't there for sure. I don't feel like praising Him. And so I must not listen to that feeling. I must command my soul to bless the Lord. And as a result, because he didn't follow his feelings, he followed his faith. His feelings followed. That's how we must live. Do you see the inner dialogue that's happening today in the Scriptures? It's not just listening to yourself anymore. It's, it's preaching. It's proclaiming. It's talking it's reasoning with Scripture to your mind, which will inform your heart. It sounds kind of like this. Lord, like, I've got all these thoughts that are burdening me. In the, like they're weighing me down, Lord. And I need your Holy Spirit to recall Scripture. I can't, I can't do this. I need Him to help me to like sear truth on my heart and mind instead of listening to these gross thoughts about me, about others, about this world, about my school, my classmates, my work, whatever. Would you, your Holy Spirit, would you help point me to Christ in my mind? And He does. So it could be like this. Lord, I am so anxious about blank. You fill it in. I can do it. Would you help me Cast my cares upon you because you care for me. I don't need to be anxious anymore because Colossians 1, you hold all things together. If you can hold like protons and neutrons and electrons together, and if you can hold the universe together, then I think you can hold my life together. And so I'm going to trust you there, even though I don't feel like it or I don't. Ugh. That's what we feel, right? That's what it's like to talk to ourselves and correct our thinking. Lord, I'm really holding on to bad memories. I've just got this guilt, this weight 
on my shoulders. What should I do? Spirit, thank You for reminding me of Philippians 3. I need to forget what lies behind. And I need to strive forward to what lies, to what lies ahead. Lord, I'm not content. Lord, I have bitterness, doubts. I have eating problems, fearfulness, grief, hate, loneliness, laziness, lust, sadness, trials, lack of trust. I've got it all. What should I do? Counsel me. What should I do? Run to the Lord. Inquire of Him. Ask the Spirit to lift the words off the page from black to white and like a seed that will be planted in your heart and it will grow and it will manifest and it will bear fruit in your life. Whatever it is, the Bible and the active power, its very nature, its essence, is enough. Theologians say it's sufficient for life and godliness. Not just theologians, but Peter said that. It's everything we need. You want another example? This is, this is me. Listen up, Newman. This is like inviting you in between my ears. Like, why are you so insecure in this area of your life? I didn't make any mistakes when I made you, Mike. Have you forgotten that when you were in your mother's womb, I knit you in there? I cared for you. Do you not know that even though they are fleeting, I know the number of hairs on your head? Do you not know that? Do you not remember that? You think I can't count anymore? Don't you remember? You kn I know when you sit and when you rise. And I actually perceive your thoughts from afar. And I'm familiar with all your ways. You're going out. You're coming in. Don't you remember, I have hemmed you in behind and before. And I've put my hand upon you. And I know you don't understand, Mike, because such knowledge is too great for you to understand. It's too wonderful for you to comprehend. Have you forgotten, Mike? You, you think that your insecurities can separate you from my love. What can separate you from the love that I have to you through Christ Jesus? Nothing, Mike. I'm sorry to welcome you into a trash can. But that's your pastor too. I must preach to myself, talk to myself, not listen to my own thoughts, insecurities. It's the value of memorizing things like Psalm 139 and Romans 8. It'll save you from a hundred million circumstances, I promise. Uh, up to this point, church, uh, I've actually only answered the question of how. How to walk with God in the mind. And I hope that th that's been beneficial. Usually, um, preacher dudes wait to the end of the sermon to tell you how 
It's, it's commonly known as application. Um, but I'd, I'd like to just ask the two questions that we haven't asked yet. The first one is, why would I do this? <laughs> right? Why? Not how. Why in the world would I want to listen to someone, not something, someone, the person of the Holy Spirit, he wrote the God's word. Why would I want to listen to that instead of listening to my own thoughts? Again, kind of the, the cheap or the quick answer would be, oh, so I don't mess things up, right? And yes, that is true in a sense. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word, right? So, so in, in, in one sense, um, it, it benefits you to listen to God because it keeps you from sin. But I think the deeper, like more motivating question would be like, when you allow your mind to be transformed, when you, when you renew it, Romans 12 says that it helps you discern God's will for your life. And that, my friends, is a pretty good reason. God's will, not necessarily thinking like future, like, oh, I wonder where I'm going to go to college, or I wonder who I'm going to marry, or I wonder, you know, more so, um, what is His will for you right now in response to God's Word? When you stand and greet others around you and, and leave from here, um, and you and you sense the Spirit's leading your life to respond, when you have an, an evil, a dark thought, when you're listening to yourself, what is God's will there? How are you going to preach, teach, correct your thinking with God? Today, this is God's will for your life. The New Testament writers say, this is God's will for your life, your sanctification, your growth. I think that's a pretty good reason. Why would you want to do this? To fulfill like God's will for your life. To live out your chief end for which you were created. To love Him and glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. All right. The next question though. Do I want to do this? That's the why, right? I want to live to glorify God with my life. Do I want to do this? Do you want to live this way? And if we were all honest with ourselves, the natural man, like when you're walking in the flesh, not the spirit, the flesh says, actually, I don't want to do this. I don't want to live this way. Why? Because it's releasing control of your life. It's like, oh, oh no, if I listen to God's voice, if, if I submit myself under God's word, if I submit myself to the Holy Spirit's leading, He might lead me, and He will, He might lead me to something that makes me feel uncomfortable to do. Oh no! And you go, and you start white knuckling your life again, right? Operating under this assumption that you have some sort of control, which you don't. This is called the life of the Holy Spirit. 
or being filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not just the verse that says, hey, Christians, stop getting drunk, although you shouldn't get drunk. It's a verse that uses the analogy of alcohol. It's something that is consumed it, and it penetrates. It operates on the inside and it controls you in such a way where it dictates your actions and you lose control. An external substance coming in to control you. And Paul says, don't do that. Be controlled by another substance. Be controlled by a person that when you believe, He fills you and now He can control you. But you must submit your life to Him so that you can be controlled. It's a beautiful and scary process. It's the joy of the Christian life. The life lived in step with the Holy Spirit. So, I ask again, do you want this? Do you want to be controlled and surrendered under the Holy Spirit's guidance? Three words coming, ready? Come what may. Do you want that? Are you willing to listen and give complete control to Him? What if it costs me my friends? What if it costs me my reputation? What will people think of me? What about my family? Come what may. What is the outcome? Worship. A life lived for God. Not lived for this speck on the line, but lived for the line that goes forever for eternity. What's the outcome? A life that doesn't listen to yourself, therefore lived for yourself, but a life listened to the Holy Spirit and lived for Christ. A life that says, for me, to live is Christ. That's it. I don't need any like cool mission statement. I just, I'll take that one. To live is Christ. Everything else? Loss. Loss, loss. What's the outcome? A life not lived focused on self, but a life focused on God's will, not ours. Church, let's praise the Lord for 1 Samuel 27. The most random passage in the scriptures, but so informative to our minds and transformative to our hearts. Amen? Let's pray. And we'll close by responding to God's word in song. And so we love you, Lord. And we need you. And we need your Holy Spirit. So much more animated and alive in our lives. Forgive us for quenching the Spirit. Forgive us for controlling our lives. Forgive us. And we now ask, would you help us listen? Would you help us talk and correct our, to ourselves our way of thinking so that we can live a life focused on you, live for Christ, 
to glorify you forever. Would you help us do that? And so let's stand together. And we're going to sing a song uh, that is chock full of the theme of surrendering unto the Lord. Would you just allow the words and the Spirit to work in your life in such a way that if there's anything that is not surrendered under you, that you would lay that down and therefore be free to follow the Lord. Let's sing together.